0: A couple of weeks ago I put out a video where we reviewed some really really thin acoustic panels and we were trying to sort of create a spare bedroom into like a YouTube studio a studio for webinars for conferences just trying to make a, a bedroom sound good for this kind of situation and it turns out that the panels actually didn't work all that well which we kind of expected but I wanted to explore a bit more of why, why don't those panels work? And what should we be considering when we try and treat our room like that? And so I reached out to another YouTube channel, Yesco over at Acoustics Insider, to get his opinion and some information since he's an expert in setting up a home studio, especially from a music perspective. And it kind of turned into about an hour long masterclass of a conversation about what we think about when we are creating our home studio please go over and subscribe to Yesco's channel if you, if you like what you see, uh, Acoustics Insider. And if you are looking to create your own bedroom studio, if you're looking to create your home studio, especially from a music perspective, he has a, a framework guide that's totally free where you can sort of learn his, his framework, his techniques for creating a home studio. I'll have a link down there in the description below. It's a free guide. It's not an affiliate relationship. I don't get anything out of it, but I do want to share that that's available to you if you are interested in creating your own home studio. Now, without further ado, let's go and go to the the pre-recorded conversation with Yesco. Enjoy. So yes, go. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate
1: it. Absolutely. Thanks, thanks, Mike, for inviting me. This is going to be fun. I meant to. I've I've meant to talk about like voiceover acoustics for a while now, and it doesn't. It's it's not entirely what I focus on because obviously I do mainly like studio acoustics, and there's the kind of the. Treating a, a voiceover room as a bit as a kind of a special subset of that, um, so I haven't done that on my channel yet, but I've been meaning to for a while.
0: And so, thanks for inviting me because uh, this gives me an opportunity to, to to dive really deep into all of that as well. It's it's my pleasure. Uh, I, I reviewed some acoustic panels just the other day, and on my channel, uh, the, the review was for the for acoustic panels. We treated a just a bedroom studio. It's just my my spare bedroom that had no acoustic treatment, and. Uh, I was given a bunch of panels that were very, very narrow. I have one as a as a prop here. So these really, really ultra thin uh, acoustic panels. And it turns out that even though we covered sure. most of the walls, we covered a bunch of the ceiling with it, they didn't really do as much as we had hoped for. What could I do in a spare bedroom? What are the appropriate things to think about in a spare bedroom to make it so that it sounds good?
1: Yeah. I mean, the the most fundamental thing to, to keep in mind, to remember that makes the job a lot easier is that you are just treating for the part of the audible frequency spectrum that is occupied by the voice. And the part that you leave out, the very, very low end of the audible spectrum, That's the part that actually makes acoustics the most or is the most difficult part in treating rooms in acoustics, right? And so with voice, we're talking down to maybe 100 hertz, very roughly speaking, a very deep speaker Uh, will maybe go just below that, maybe down to 80 hertz or something, but it's never going to be much lower than that. And so just as as a kind of a rough guideline, you can always assume that if you're just treating for voice, you're just treating upwards of 100 hertz, and that makes your life a whole lot easier in terms of the tools that you
0: use. As we think about the, the frequency spectrum, we know, you know, we always hear that you should, we should be rolling off our voice below, actually say like 80 hertz, so, so right in there. Is, does that mm-hmm. make sense for, is the right place to do that with a high pass on the mic do you do it in the eq after does it does it matter from a room treatment perspective where you might be high passing the, the microphone to begin with is there a is there a preference no I,
1: it doesn't <laughs> matter <good>. i would <laughs> definitely say try and get it done as as e as early in the chain in the single chain as possible mm-hmm. yeah so if you have a, a kind of a low cut on the microphone as well um, definitely use that. Uh, obviously, if it's just to maybe just double check, make it do a quick comparison to make sure it doesn't chop off the bottom bit of your voice if you have a mm-hmm. very deep voice. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I would definitely say do it as early in the chain as possible. That's just going to make your life easier. Sure.
0: So in your just a we'll we'll move on to the to the real part of the frequency spectrum in in, in just a second. So looking at yours, so that's a Rode NT1A. I'm guessing the the mic that you're speaking yeah cheapo uh well but that (laughs) yes that's right actually they're they're good mics but there's no switch on them so you could are you are you um low cutting in your interface or would you low cut in your daw where where would you add that first low cut to to manage the base
1: so i've i've got my low cut in my rme interface yeah so and since i don't have one on the microphone uh that's the kind of the next step in the chain so that's where i'm low cutting um but again i mean i'm Super functional about this. I try to get it, just kind of get it right in the recording, and mm-hmm. so um, make my life as easy as possible. And so that's where I'm. I'm low cutting. You might not do that just to get to to like give yourself options afterwards. If you do do mixing stuff anyway, right? But uh, sure. if it's sure. if it's just about getting that clean recording, then then that's fine as well. Yeah.
0: Right. Cool. Okay. So now as we as we move up into the the point where our voice is reflecting the the lower part of our part of our voice so from call it 100 hertz to uh, what is it 250 300 hertz sort of that that mid base of our of our voice Mm -hmm. is that Mm -hmm. i get the sense that that's part of the hardest uh frequency range to to treat because there's still quite a bit of energy in our voice there um hard to absorb those. Is it better to absorb, reflect? What, what should yeah, we be thinking about? Yeah, in terms of the tools that we have
1: available, right, at its most, uh, or like, we have two fundamental tools. We have absorption and we have diffusion, reflection, scattering, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, but those are the the two main diffusion. tools, absorption and diffusion, right. right? And to just kind of start off by, or with, with a very kind of, uh, a very fundamental, rule you might say or just um, uh, guideline is that in very small rooms forget about diffusion
0: <laughs> good okay and
1: you can just stick to absorption and the, the reason is that it actually takes a certain distance from the diffusing surface so if the diffuser diffuser kind of sits here takes a certain distance for that diffusion to kind of develop properly i see yeah and in very very small rooms you're usually very close to the surfaces that reflect that you would treat with potentially diffusion. And so you would probably, you'd be kind of solving some issues, but you might be causing some new ones. Yeah? yeah. And so in kind of very, very small rooms, if we're talking a typical, typical kind of small bedroom, so I don't know, something like 12 by 14 feet or something like that. You know, there are even smaller rooms than that, I guess. If you're working from a kind of a cupboard, <laughs> sort of turning that into your your kind of voiceover booth, mm-hmm. if you will then you just want to stick to diffusion Uh, sorry just stick to absorption yeah there are there are exceptions to some extent so what you see here behind me this is a very simple type of diffuser this is a binary amplitude diffuser it is the simplest type of diffuser you can find and it's combined with absorption yeah so the diffusion part are the slats and then there's there's insulation material behind mm. that so that it can pass through these gaps and so that you get a combined absorber diffuser. And this thing is designed so that it really only works in the highest parts of the spectrum, so upwards of maybe two and a half, three kilohertz, up to about seven kilohertz. And so because it works so high in in, in frequency, you can get a bit closer to these these types of diffusers. yeah. So that's why i kind of designed them the way they are so that you can use them in small rooms. But still, you want to have at least a foot of distance to one of these, preferably more. Yeah. So if we're talking about treating surfaces around your microphone, let's say, you just want to stick to pure absorption. You might have some of this in the back. But to be honest, this is just the icing on the cake. You don't need mm. any of that. Yeah, so for for uh, for uh, for vo- voiceover work for treating a voice in a small room, it really makes sense to just stick to absorption um, and just go with
0: that, and you'll you'll be fine. Right. Basically, so I think that's that's probably takeaway number one for the people who are trying to become like strictly voice actors. So many of so many of us work out of a little closet, Mine's six by six, and that's actually pretty generous for a home a home booth. So many people have. Four by four, three and a half by four. I'm um, in imperial units, so uh, you know a meter by, uh, maybe a, a meter and a third. Just over a meter. Uh, yeah. they're, they're really small, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, and, and so one. It's good to know that the diffusion would really have no, it wouldn't work.
1: That's right. Yeah, and so especially in these in in such small spaces. So talking three by four feet, yeah. Um, we 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 get these standing waves these resonances that build up between parallel walls yeah so it's uh, the, the best way to imagine this is kind of the maybe a kind of a game children play on like in the playground where two people like hold where you person uh, one person holds a rope at each end and then you kind of get it to swing and you mm. get if you do it just right you get this sine wave that just builds up in the middle, you know, uh, in between them. And that's, that's basically a standing wave. It's basically the, the, um, the, when the wavelength fits exactly between the two end points, uh, where they get
0: reflected. So that happens in any room. My experience is in the small booths like that is that standing wave is often right in a prominent part of our part of our voice. I think, I forget what the different wavelengths are, but those 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 standing frequencies can be right where, at least where the male voice is. Is that, do I have that right? Absolutely, yeah. So probably even higher than that, yeah? So yeah. just as
1: a quick, uh, kind of a, a quick calculation. So as a, as a reference point, it's always good to take 100 Hertz, yeah? With 100 Hertz, the wavelength is pretty much 10 feet. So 200 right, Hertz right. will be about yeah. five feet, yeah? Uh, 400 hertz is gonna be about two and a half feet, yeah? So we're looking at, when we're talking about a standing wave that builds between walls that are three or four feet apart, we're talking frequencies of 200 hertz and up still, or like 200 to maybe 400 hertz, where you still get these resonances, yeah? And that's that's kind of the main issue with these very, very small rooms, yeah? So that these standing waves go that high up in frequency. The The basic thing is you have these two issues, standing waves room modes and reflections and in in a very very small space those room modes and those reflections are all going to sit in like the most important part of the spectrum for the voice which is right that low mid part between 100 and kind of 500 hertz yeah right and that's where you get those extreme tonal differences from that you might uh, that people might experience you know or that that washing out that um that
0: boxiness, as you mentioned, one of the ways that I've certainly treated it in my own booths, like when I had a whisper room that was, you know, forty-eight inches by forty-eight inches, is I just had to add more and more, uh, you know, mass. Uh, in my case, I used uh, fiberglass, but I just had to add more and more because even the the treatment that the that the company provides it, when you buy inadequate. the booth, yeah. it mm-hmm. was really not enough yeah. for that. Yeah. So I ended up having to I go think with that's four inches worth, yeah. 4 inches worth to try and tame that 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 uh, I think you're spot on uh you're you're
1: absolutely spot on yeah and maybe let's just look at the 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 actual tool the treatment the absorption to see how do we get down to those frequencies yeah because you showed me that super thin uh that super thin panel just before yeah but let's just see what what we need in order to actually absorb down to those low frequencies yeah so i'm just going to Cool. Switch over, let me see if I can get this done in a way that it makes sense. So here we go. So I just switched over to this porous uh, absorber calculator, which people can find at acousticmodeling.com. It's totally free. And that allows us to do some some simple modeled calculations on how this these types of, of insulation materials, these porous absorbers actually absorb, absorb sound. Yeah, so what we're looking at is a simple graph with frequency on the bottom. So 20 Hertz to 20 kilohertz. And then we've got something called absorption coefficient here on the vertical, which basically just says, well, it goes from zero to one. So it just tells us in percent, if you will, how well that particular slab of material absorbs the sound that hits it. Okay. And so now we can enter some values up here to figure out just how well it it actually absorbs at different frequencies so this is a a very poor example that i messed about with just just before yeah but just going with the the starting with the the panel you just showed me which i assume is about what is that uh it's not even an inch it was a quarter inch wasn't it yeah or or let's let's just start way up there 10 because you can get these shallow things if you want to yeah and so i'm going to hit calculate there are two parts of this 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 calculator that we st- that you still need to look at one is flow resistivity I'll talk about that in a second air gap is literally just the amount of air behind the panel so so if you put this panel in front of a wall the slab of material and there's some air between the panel and the wall that's the air gap yeah, and we can use that to effectively make this thing absorb lower down as we'll see in a second yeah this flow resistivity just describes the density of the material if you will and this in itself isn't really something that we uh, we mess with just for the purpose of messing with it but what we want to do is we we as we'll see in a second we'll pick an absorber thickness to to uh, to determine how low down this thing is going to absorb and then we match the flow resistivity to give us the best uh, or the the kind of the highest quality absorption at that depth. yeah, so you pick depth first, and then you you match the flow resistivity to give you the best absorption. But let's just go through some examples here to see what happens, yeah so this is this is that the that uh, half inch material that you just showed me. And we can see this doesn't even give us full absorption. You could probably mess with these this flow resistivity a bit and see if something interesting happens. But I have my doubts that we can even get up to uh, for full absorption with a with a panel that like that. Yeah, okay. So we need to need a very very dense material to make this thing work properly, and that's why this thing is so hard that you got.
0: Yeah. That's a. It says P A S per meter squared. What is the What is the P A refer to?
1: That's, so. That's Pascal. That's Pascal times seconds by meter squared
0: yeah 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 so okay. this is a,
1: is a a as a measure of of air pressure, right So or like in combination with air pressure yeah. But so let's imagine that this was sort of the panel that you got. yeah so we can see that it kind of almost reached maximum absorption at 10 kilohertz. Really? And then I always use kind of fifty percent the fifty percent mark, which is around about here. I use that as kind of my the lowest point where we still get useful absorption from a uh, from a panel.
0: I just want to ask one quick question Please? here. So when when sometimes you'll see that uh, a manufacturer may claim that it's got a a point nine five um, I- coefficient rating, they may be gaming it to just say, oh yeah, it's up at you know ninety five hundred hertz or ten thousand hertz is where you're getting that point nine five coefficient, um, but really that's it's it's that's right. n- not for. Much of the, the rest of the usable spectrum.
1: As so often, data can be misleading. And if you <laughs> want data to actually tell you something, it needs to include certain uh, or it needs to include certain basic information. Yeah. So just absorption coefficient on its own doesn't tell you anything because you need to know absorption coefficient at a certain frequency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then once you get really nerdy, you also have to look at how this data was captured as so often if you really want to be accurate yeah the, this is this is a very simplified model okay that's I think that's it's good it's good that you ask that question because it's important to understand that this is a very simplified model so very generally speaking, this is the type of absorption you'll get Depending on particular circumstances, it might be a little bit better. It might even be a little bit worse. But very generally speaking, this is kind of what you're gonna get. Right. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't look at this t- to be super, or I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't read off exact numbers from this. Yeah. yeah. This is just to get a, a ballpark idea and to get an understanding of how these t- these materials work when you change certain fundamental aspects like the depth or the flow resistivity. Yeah. Cool. But uh, just let's just continue on so I can you can see what happens when I change when I mess with this. Yeah. So we got about 10 kilohertz maximum absorption and maybe about three and a half kilohertz 50% absorption. Yeah. So so those are our two metrics. Now let's increase the depth. So this is half an inch. Taking this up to one inch. Well one inch is more like like that. Yeah. And so now, boom, this suddenly jumped to around about, uh, so three kilohertz is now maximum absorption and maybe, what is this, like six, seven, what is that, 800, 900 hertz, 50%, yeah? So we're mm-hmm. we're still not even remotely covering the, uh, the audible range and definitely not that part of the spectrum where we said that we get those ugly resonances in those small spaces, yeah? We need to cover this area right here. That's the part we need to cover, Right. okay? So let's keep going. So this is one inch. So I'm going to double this up. So now we're looking at two inches. And we might at that point also re- reduce the actual density of the material. Yeah. So now we're getting down to about 500 hertz. We're going to keep going. So this was, uh, what is it? What did I say? Two inches. So let's increase this to four inches. Yeah. And so now we're starting to get into. Right. The, the kind of a, a realm of potentially useful treatment <laughs> yeah so maximum absorption at around 900 hertz maybe 50 percent at 200 you probably want even more than that yeah so let's take this up to let's say 150 so this is about six inches yeah and so now we're starting to see that we're getting absorption that actually more or less covers, the range the the frequency range that we need to cover. Right. Okay. So yeah. let me let me just leave it at that for now and, and jump back to you. I'm sure you have a bunch of questions.
0: <laughs> yeah, so that that actually that matches with my experience because when I was making my my booth here is I I didn't have a sense of how much I would need. I just sort of committed that I'm going to keep adding absorption until I could start to n- knock down that boxiness because my dimensionally the room that I'm in my booth is almost a perfect cube. It's six feet by six feet by just over six feet Mm -hmm. tall. It's Mm -hmm. because I'm in a a low basement. Fantastic. It's really, really hard. And when I was in, when it was untreated, it was, it was unlistenable. All right. Moment of truth time. You're going to hear this the same time I am. I've set up a microphone and I'm in the untreated booth and as we expected it is a complete echo chamber in here for a couple of reasons one it's got no treatment whatsoever and also dimensions of the room it's the same distance this way as it is this way so i'm gonna probably standing right in the middle of a great big uh, standing wave and so i ended up with Mm -hmm. there's six inches of mineral wool on practically every wall I did end up adding a second round of insulation to this wall and to this wall. So this wall over here is actually six inches thick with mineral wool and this wall is six inches thick. So before you saw that it was, uh, there were studs this way. Well, I had another set this way. So there's a stud here and a stud down here. And so that I could do insulation across so i ended up adding another round of six more inches so i've got three inches here three inches on uh, on the wall behind the camera and six inches everywhere else and on the floor it's about an inch of padding really just for for an anti-fatigue that's
1: right that's right yeah so now now this is now we just defined how we can build the tool or what depth we need to to get an actual the actual frequency or to cover the frequency range we need yeah so Ideally six inches. If you can take it up to eight inches, even better. Yeah. So now we have to think about where are we actually going to put this stuff. Yeah. And so in that's uh, and in that uh, when we're talking about that, we have to once again think about the two main problems that we're trying to deal with. So that standing wave problem and reflections. What you'll find is that most locations in a small space like that will take care of both at the same time. Yeah. But it makes sense to think about them separately just for understanding purposes. Yeah. Yeah. So resonances let's start with that first so we've got our parallel wall we've got that we've got that wave that sine wave in between them obviously yeah that builds up not just left and right but front to back floor to ceiling yeah and so now we need to put that material on the kind of offending wall where that reflection happens yeah in order to reduce the reflection and thus that standing wave so ideally obviously on both ends and you also have to think about the, the, the dimension of the wave to some extent. Yeah. So how much surface are we covering? Yeah. So with a, uh, we talked about, uh, so 100 Hertz was about 10 feet. We doubled that to 200 Hertz was about um, five feet. Am I getting that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so there's a, a wave with a, di- with a circumference, if you will, of five feet. And you have to put something in its path to stop it. It has to be deep enough in order to absorb it, but it also has to be big enough surface-wise so that that wave doesn't just go, "Eh," yeah, and bend around it. If you put a panel that is this small but six inches deep on the wall, that's not going to do anything, yeah? So we need to cover enough surface area. And as a rule of thumb, you probably want to cover at least half the kind of wavelength of the wave that you're covering or that you're trying to attack that you're trying to deal with mm-hmm. of surface area very roughly speaking yeah you probably want if you can do more then better in practice what does that mean well in a small room that is three by four feet it just means cover the entire wall right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's 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 how you that's that's how it ends up being what it is mm-hmm. yeah and so you do that on each of the each of the walls so talking about parallel surfaces front back floor, ceiling, you can't really do the floor, so you gotta do the ceiling, yeah? And then left, right, and you do that on all sides and you end up with just coverage everywhere. That's just how this works.
0: Yeah, as we're thinking about um, advice for somebody who's creating their booth in a small closet, it's, it's something that they really do have to think about that if, they're, if their booth is only this wide wall to wall to begin with, that if you're adding six inches of, of treatment that you might be shoulder to shoulder touching in that booth so there you can you can make it so that the booth is just so small that you can't treat it well enough to be to actually fit inside it and still get still get a good enough sound that you'll still get you know boxiness be just because dimensionally you don't have enough space you can too small is really a thing
1: Welcome to the reality of acoustics, <laughs> yeah. And obviously, um, the 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 there's an ideal that we're chasing here, and it's always a question. Uh, it's always a question of how close can you get to that in practice, and oftentimes you can't do everything that you should be doing because you don't have the space. It's inconvenient to have absorption in that spot because you need a door. You probably have, maybe have a little window in there, yeah? Um, uh, just be, like you said, maybe the space is so small that you, if you add six inches of absorption on each side, you're gonna be like sitting like this between absorption. That's not practical as well, or that's just not a comfortable space to be in, yeah? So we have to kind of weigh, or we have, we have to find a trade-off. We have to weigh what is what is ideal against what is possible within our budgets, our space, And what we
0: feel comfortable with i was wondering is is this that is this the time when when we would think about that air gap and if this if if this is if if you want to delay that for a a little bit later we we can but six inches uh, i just remember from one of your videos so if i have a three inch panel could i put an inch of air behind it to get a four or make a five inch panel and would i get Similar performance, better performance, worse performance. I noticed that that, that diagram actually, or that chart, that tool, you actually could put an air gap behind it. What sort of influence does the air gap have? Yeah. So unfortunately, it doesn't save us any
1: space. It does because we still need the, the overall depth of the absorber system, if you will, or the absorber structure needs to be the mm-hmm. same. But you can get rid of some of the material that is closest to the wall. Yeah, so I'm just going to show this with the second the second calculator or the second part of this calculator. So I'm going to do the exact same thing. So obviously, this is going to be the same. And it's not because there's an air gap. There we go. Yeah, so now they're sitting right on top of each other. But what I can do is just get rid of half the material that is closest to the wall. And you end up with something that is rather similar. It's not exactly the same, but it is rather similar because the material that is away from the wall is what matters most. Yeah, and up to you can you can you can kind of play this game up to the, sp- the a point where the 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 material or the the air gap rather is the same depth of the material. You don't really want the air gap to get much bigger than the actual material, the absorption material. Yeah, but what counts is the combined depth. And because it's the same as this one here, the absorption coefficient is going to be roughly the same. It's not going to be exactly the same, but very, very close. Well, I mean, I think it makes sense to to refine a bit further in terms of what, where and how we'd like to treat the mm-hmm. space. Because for many people, if we stop here and I just said cover all walls in six to eight inches of absorption, they're going to go, "I'm not <laughs> going to do that." So, uh, which is yeah. fair enough. Maybe not today, maybe right. tomorrow, but. Um, so if you don't want to do that, where do you start? What? How can you reduce this? Compl- or how can you reduce the amount of treatment that you do, but make sh- making sure that you're focusing on the part that's a, that are the parts that are important? Yeah. And so what we're talking about now is basically just reducing the surface area and starting by covering less surface area. You should still do six inches of absorption if you can, as much as possible. So the depth you always want to maintain the depth if you can, go as deep as you can, up to six inches, maybe even eight. Beyond that doesn't make sense. But now let's talk about how much surface area to cover or what's the minimum that you want to do. Yeah. And at that point where we really want to think about reflections, that's going to tell us where we're going to start with our placement of any of this, uh, this treatment. And there's a, it's very simple to be honest i mean this is just th- thinking about sound like a game of pool like billiards or snooker if you're in the uk um so it's 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 thinking about sound like rays of light and so if sound if you're speaking into the microphone the microphone's right in front of you there's going to be a surface behind that and the sound is going to bounce back at the angle at which it hit the wall yeah so right in front of you it's just going to bounce bounce straight back Sound that enters or exits your your mouth to the sides It's going to hit the 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 side walls at a certain angle. It's going to reflect in the in in the same at the same angle that it hit that wall. Perhaps hit another wall and eventually come back to your microphone. And there's a whole bunch of different potential paths that sound is going to take from your mouth over like reflecting off of surfaces and then back to the microphone. And the worst offenders of those reflection paths are the ones that are the shortest. Because the shorter the reflection path, the cl- the, the sooner after the direct sound that reflection is gonna hit the microphone. And the shorter the path, the louder that reflection is in volume in relation to the direct sound. So the shortest paths are always the worst offenders. So just thinking about that, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, and you you think you're looking at where your microphone is in relation to your your, your voice, or your, sorry, your mouth, uh, and then the, the walls, think about which surfaces are the closest, and those are probably the ones you want to start with, and then you want to move along that, that idea, what's the next furthest or next closest surface, right? Always remembering that it's like a game of pool, so it's just geometry so if the microphone is at the the height of your mouth all this is going to happen on the plane of your mouth yeah if your microphone is a bit lower then you have to kind of cover that entire section on the walls yeah and but but that's that's pretty much it it's trying to reduce those early reflections as we call them because they are the worst offenders right. Now in a three by four foot room, you'll probably find they're all pretty offensive (laughs) because we're so close. close. Right. And in practice, that's gonna mean that's gonna mean we're gonna start with the surface probably behind the microphone. Yeah. Then probably on the sides, probably. Yeah. And then behind you and then on the surface uh, on the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Now that's probably the order in which you're going to go through this. Do right? you th- and with each further step that you take this is going to get right. better.
0: When I think about the the cardioid microphones that we're both on that sometimes that that closest reflection is probably the wall behind you because the microphone's not hearing so well that first reflection that that sound that's coming off the wall back towards us the mic's not hearing it that well, so that's really making its second reflection over our shoulder or off the walls next to us. Is that true? Like other, the 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 polar pattern of the microphone is also at play here, isn't it? To
1: some extent, yeah. In these very very small rooms, probably not that much. Uh, I mean, it helps to have a. It, it probably helps to have a cardioid microphone even in the small room. But think about it this way: sound. If if you're talking about a cardioid microphone like this one here sound in order to enter from this side it has to it has to first of all bounce off the surface behind the microphone then Mm -hmm. bounce off either my chest or this the wall behind me and then get back to the to the microphone so the path there is definitely longer than something maybe from the sides yeah Mm -hmm. also if you stop that sound reflecting off of that front surface it's never going to come back to then hit my chest or the back wall and then enter the microphone. Right. Yeah. That's why you get these reflection filters that I'm sure are still discussed heavily whether they actually work or not. Right. It's, is there one behind? No, it's on the other side. It's, it's somewhere there. Yeah. You can probably see it in the picture somewhere. <laughs> um, uh, they, they, why do they work? Because they stop the sound, b- broadly speaking, they stop the sound before it even enters the room. Yeah. Yeah. And so, in my opinion, it still makes sense to start with the surface behind the microphone first or rather the Mm -hmm. closest surface first. Because you're going to stop that sound before it even starts bouncing around in your room. Right, right. Again, if you do this, you would do a recording, you'll probably find the one from the back is still offensive. Yeah, the problem is in these small rooms, like I mentioned before, they're probably going to all be annoying. So it makes sense to... Right. Basically, start with all of them right away. Yeah, you're right. gonna you're gonna do the sides, and then you're gonna you notice, ah, oh, damn the, eh. and then you're gonna do the front, and you're gonna be, ah, eh. and then you're gonna <laughs> right, do them right. all anyway. <laughs> yeah, so might as well just just uh, um, just go ahead and do it all in one go.
0: Right. Right. The uh, the reflection filters, they're not. Uh, my experience is they're not they're not great for voiceover because they're in the way of where you're copy. Oh, yeah often is uh you know you you you, you can't put the copy in front of the microphone so the copy is usually either right below or right behind the microphone and exactly where that reflection filter is and those can often be you know they can be really big and so it's it's hard to get your copy whatever you're trying to read so for the 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 cost to benefit for what they offer for the voice actor often isn't that great so we end up just trying to treat the wall behind you Because you do have to be, my experience is, you have to be really close to those those reflection filters to try and catch your voice. Because if you're like the distance we're off them right now, there, the angle of our voice yes. really exceeds that reflection filter, and it's just you know, it's just yeah. creating just like a little tiny window, not big it's, enough. It's as definitely you,
1: not like you said a, yeah, I mean, first of all, totally yeah. get it. Yeah, um, uh, totally understand that that's not a solution for voiceover people in that sense. Yeah, um, and uh, even then, always mm-hmm. uh, none of this. There is no one one solution for everything. Yeah if you do use one of these reflection filters it will be a component right. of getting right. the sound right it won't you can't expect to sit in a in a in a urban room and then put one of those up Indeed. and not to solve all of your problems it's going to help quite a bit uh, but um, but it's just one yeah. step acoustics is many little steps that you want to get right and we haven't even talked about the microphone, or we do. We have talked about cardio right. microphones. I'm sure you've talked right. about different types of microphones before, but again, that's <laughs> one step. So you want to do a lot of little steps in the right direction, and then your sound's going to be great.
0: It seems to me that the, the answer is often so very situation-specific. Your room and my room are different dimensionally. They've got different components. There are ideas that we can have. There are sort of guidelines, frameworks that we can follow but there isn't necessarily like this is the answer to everybody
1: it's it's um there i think there's uh, there are certain aspects that generally work in all types of rooms yeah especially if we're if we're kind of uh, winging it <laughs> yeah? Yeah, yeah obviously the more the more detailed you go or the more specific you want to treat a certain space uh, the 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 stronger the the differences are going to be in terms of what you sure. do, yeah but certain basic aspects are never going to change yeah so for example the the depth of the the material right. the absorption right, material right. like i mentioned right. before
0: two things that i think I, i'd like to at least explore and you can tell me if they're if they're the right right track um besides besides uh, absorption there we often hear about bass traps especially in the small room Um, for for voice where our voice doesn't have a ton below say 100 hertz are bass traps important so that's one thing and then um, does the mic placement within that space should we be right in the center should we be off to the side should we be closer to one wall than the other is there any benefit Mm -hmm. any benefit to that so those are kind of the, the sure. last two questions that I had from, <laughs> sure. uh, from a booth. So let's just talk bass traps real
1: quick because I think it's a it's a really uh, conf- or it's a confusing term. Sure. It's because ba- bass trap the base. First of all, there is no device that traps bass. Yeah, that doesn't exist. There is only that we call them bass traps, but there are only absorbers and diffusers. There are different types of absorbers, and depending on how you build it. It, it might. Uh, it, 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 there are basically two types of absorption. There's broadband absorption, which is this insulation material stuff. And once you make that deep enough, it absorbs bass frequencies, and then people start calling them bass traps. Yeah. Right. And then there are actual bass-specific absorbers. Those are resonance absorbers. Those definitely. You definitely don't need those in a in a in a voiceover uh, scenario. But those could potentially be co- actually be called bass traps because they really focus only on the bass frequencies. Um, but um, the the point I'm trying to make is there are there is no difference between a bass trap and an absorber. A bass trap is an absorber at a certain depth. Right. Right. That's all. That makes sense. Yeah. That so sense. Um, they we, we we love people talk. I love talking about bass traps and I I call them bass traps as well just because it's it's ubiquitous that that word, you know? So, um, but in a sense, once we're talking six inches of absorption, that is a base trap. Yeah.
0: And the graph bears that out. The graph that you showed before, it bears that out that as that thickness gets as the the thickness increases the lower the frequency the lower in the frequency spectrum that it absorbs so if you just keep adding thickness it's going to get lower and lower and yeah technically it will exactly trap exactly the base yeah, that's right, right? <laughs> uh mic position so within a space how does the does where you're standing does where the microphone get placed does that have an so, impact?
1: Uh, I've just decided a disclaimer I'm really my I'm, I'm a mixing engineer and an acoustics engineer. recording isn't my expertise. That doesn't mean mm. I don't know mm-hmm. anything about it but uh, uh, the, the basic thing to understand is the more treatment you do, the less you uh or the less you have to uh, the freer you become in terms of your placement let's just say it like that the less dependent you become on the actual space yeah so sure in a in a small room that is three by four feet uh, sure go ahead and experiment but i mean your your options of where you're going to be standing are going to be dependent on other things than the sound, you know? It's like, I still have to open right. this door. That's gonna be like the consideration, right. you know? Right. <laughs> uh, I still have to be able to get into my chair, right. you know? That's, that's kind of the consideration there. And so uh, I'm very much a pragmatic mm-hmm. person at that point, And I'd say, look, you gotta be able to use the space. Yeah, so do what gives you good ergonomics, do what makes, allows you to use the space comfortably to get into your flow, to have a productive session, you know, and sound you can kind of mangle mm-hmm. into place afterwards yeah, in that great. case, at least, yeah. Um, so does microphone position matter? Yes, mm-hmm. for the sound. Is it the thing you need to pay attention to if you're doing voiceover work? Yeah, Probably not that much. <laughs>
0: Um, is there any is there, are there any aspects that you think uh, that we that we didn't cover that you think are important? So there's, I think, when we're talking about voiceover work and booths
1: in particular, I think this sound isolation question is somewhat interesting. It's definitely something that a lot of people worry about, right? So I'm not sure time wise if you still want to get
0: into that, but I mean, I, I definitely still have time, so let's. Uh, I mean, I, I think from, from a from a voice work perspective, I, I always try and separate you know uh, isolation, the sound proofing from mm-hmm. the treatment, and for for you know other than a heavy door <laughs> and turning off things that vibrate or hum, um, there is there's it becomes a very very challenging uh, problem to solve. I know in my booth down here, I'm in all the walls are concrete. I'm below ground. And I've got you know he- heavy walls, and I've got a, but I can still hear the lawnmower outside. Mm-hmm. There you go. It's really, really extraordinarily difficult to do it. So if you've got any, if you've got any advice that somebody could follow to try and improve their isolation, we're all about listening, all about listening. Yeah, I
1: I'm mean, to, uh, even would you have to say, <laughs> even if I don't have like the the amazing tip that's all going to solve everybody's problem, I think it's important to understand. Or to get your expectations in in order to understand what you can expect or what you can't expect, rather, yeah. So talking about a lawnmower, that's a great example. Yeah, lawnmower is very loud, yeah, and it also puts out a fair amount of low-frequency energy. And the lower down in frequency the energy is that you're start trying to keep out, the harder it's going to be, yeah. So if let's say you're you're you've got your your little kind of studio with a vocal booth or you're in, intending to put a vocal booth in your studio and this is part of a bigger building and there's some sort of i don't know some some kind of factory work going on in the rest of the building and something travels through the structure you're not going to get rid of that unless you decouple the entire booth off of the floor right. Yeah. So just kind of getting expectations right. If you're trying to isolate yourself from really low frequency noise, that is going to be hard and expensive, and going to take a lot of work. Yeah, there's no way around that. Yeah. So just if you if that is the situation one is in, understand that you that's either you invest the money or you find a different space. (laughs) Different space. Yeah. Um, There's just no way around it. Yeah. 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 unfortunately so that's so that's i think a, a crucial thing to to just understand the lower down a frequency the noise problem is the harder it is going to get rid of it if we're talking just about a computer hum a co- computer fans yeah um, uh, maybe maybe some some not to like some let's say some some street noise further away obviously street noise also has low frequencies but kind of a, a more kind of a, a white noise type of thing happening you know some sort of hum some sort of noise that is obviously a lot easier to reduce but there are basically three main principles to isolation there is the decoupling part that i talked about just before there's adding mass and there's making things airtight those are the three components to get isolation, and the more you do on each of those fronts, obviously once once it's airtight, it's airtight. But let's just say the more you do on these other two fronts, the lower down in frequency and the better that isolation is going to be. Right. Yeah. And so we're talking. We, we if we want to stop sound, we need to put a solid barrier in place for that sound not to not to go through. And the heavier that barrier is, the better it's going to work. And so uh, that that's kind of the the thing to understand, to keep in mind, if you're building a vocal booth and you really want to isolate yourself, you're going to have to make really, really heavy, heavy walls. Yeah. The heavier you make them, the better in general. And then if you want to go even beyond that, you're going to have to think about this whole decoupling thing. Yeah? Um, yeah. And then obviously, that means making things airtight. And then we have to think about ventilation and we have to think about light and all these things come into play. Yeah. So. Right making a really high-quality, isolating vocal booth is a challenge. <laughs> it certainly yeah? is. And so make is. sure you make sure you get the circumstances under which you're trying to do this uh, as best T- as case possible. Case in point,
0: I don't know if you can hear it. There's somebody walking above me, and you get bass. And there's, there's literally, you know, because I'm in the basement, so there's somebody moving around upstairs, and it's bass that I I just stop and I start again when they're finished walking because there's like nothing I can do with that. It's like 40 hertz. There's almost nothing I can do. Uh, it, it's it's actually a really good lesson because I actually had to learn that lesson firsthand. And, and just with a, a something really small, and it took me a little while to figure this out, but as someone who makes YouTube videos and you know we make a mm-hmm. lot of content, I had a, I ran out of disk drives. So I said, I'm going to buy a NAS without thinking the implications of what that would have Mm -hmm. on my studio. So I bought a little box that's got a bunch of spinning Uh disk drives in it. Uh And it started out in this room. And because of that, there's Mm -hmm. a fan that rotates. There are disk drives that rotate. So it started on my desk and it made the desk vibrate. And the fans were really loud. I was like, well, the fans are too loud. The mic hears it. So then I had to move it over, I moved it onto a bookshelf that was nearby, but the the rotational frequency made the whole bookshelf itself resonate. So not only, it acted almost like an amplifier. <laughs> I love it. And so the, the bookshelf was acting yeah. like an amplifier. So then what I ended up doing is I moved the bookshelf into the other room, but that bass energy, I got rid of the fan noise, but then the bass energy of the actual bookshelf itself the walls vibrating. I could still see it in my spectrogram. So then I had to further go and get by isolating feet, you know a, a rubber isolation to to decouple the nas from the bookshelf. and that's what finally did it. So I had to add distance. I had to add isolation and I had to manage that base. I mean, so little things like, you know, people that have a PC on their desk, those PCs have often multiple fans that can make the thing resonate in weird ways. It can make your whole desk resonate, not just through the pop filter, but the whole desk itself can resonate. It can be, it can be really challenging to try and figure out what you're hearing and then how to mitigate that really challenging, yeah, yeah really yeah.
1: challenging it's it, it it is it is and it just shows also that you kind of gotta you gotta go do it step by step yeah if if yeah. people watching this are kind of like oh there's so much going on and it's it's so overwhelming, take it in small steps one thing at a time solve one problem at a time make sure you follow right. that rabbit hole until you figure that out and then focus right. on the next thing yeah but it just again yeah. it also just shows instead of trying to build an isolating booth that is perfect, see as best as possible if you can get rid of the disturbances first yeah because it's not going to get any easier than that yeah if your family members are allowed or if your neighbors are allowed or whatever yeah see or if they're kind of above you if you're in an apartment block or something talk to them and ask them whether they can maybe in a certain time period during the day (laughs) be quiet or walk quietly yeah. yeah. Uh, if they have a, if there's a, a, a dishwasher or a washing machine that's rumbling or whatever, you know, talk to them, ask them if they can put it on, put them on some pads. All this stuff is definitely going to be easier than trying to isolate your booth. Yeah. Right. So, For sure. um, so fo- yeah. focus on the, focus on the disturbance first and then see if you can, if, if that, if that you can't do that, then think about the actual right. uh, isolation.
0: Because even the commercial booths, even the things that you can buy, I I had a whisper room, but the studio bricks, you know, there's so many different commercial booths. They only do so much when it comes to isolation. Isolation is really, really challenging. So, you know, a a whisper room takes maybe a few decibels away, but lawnmowers and especially low frequency, it still comes. It still comes right through because there's so much energy in the in those low frequencies. Not much you can do. That's right really yeah. challenging.
1: Oh, it's, it's it's just also hard to stop you know we're talking about about sound that gets transmitted through the structure it doesn't get transmitted through the air. It enters. It literally enters the concrete or the the, the brick framework, the right. structure of the building, and then it just travels through that, and then it comes out the wall that is, uh, that is right next to you. You know, yeah. and yeah. the yeah. only way to stop that is to somewhere break that transmission, and that's what decoupling is for. Yeah. So that's yeah. why I mentioned if you're trying yeah. to get rid of that lawnmower completely, you literally have to suspend that entire booth on some sort of decoupling pucks or whatever and then there are special special bird uh, built uh, devices to do that but right. it needs to be calculated it's 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 engineering it's not crazy difficult but it needs to be done properly in order to work
0: right you know? yeah and not something that you can just it. wing you can't just make it up you can't just make it up because chances are you're not going to re- you're not going to remove the frequencies that you're looking for unless you really know what you're looking for it can be super challenging
1: I mean, worst case, it's not going to work, you know? I mean, if people are up for this, uh, people are always afraid of acoustics, and I'm just like, look, you're not going to break anything. <laughs> yeah, <right>. Nobody's <laughs> going to die if you do something wrong, yeah? It's just not going to work right. all that great, yeah? So uh, few I, I do do experiment, you know? If you're up yeah. for it, do experiment, gain experience. There is no substitute for trying something and then v- learning what it actually does in practice, you know? People yeah. always ask me, how much diffusion do I need? And I'm just like, That's something you need to kind of figure out for yourself. How lively do you want the space? That's a a personal question, you know, and you need to figure that out for yourself. So just try it. And if it it. doesn't work, do something different.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Experimentation is the key. You'll just make constant, if you can just make constant 1% improvements over time, if you make something, everything just a little bit better, eventually you'll get to the point where you've got it hopefully largely solved. And if you don't don't have that solution, then you can call on, you can call on, people uh, if I'm not mistaken you have yeah, or if you,
1: if it's a particular
0: yeah go ahead go ahead
1: or if it's just if it's a particular if it's a particular difficult situation you know yeah. but uh, that that you can't figure out on your own yeah but do do try, try sure start stuff figure something out
0: does your um, you have, and I, I want I want you to to promote it here, but you have a a, a framework for creating a home studio. I know it's probably more towards like a, a music studio, but I'm sure there's a lot that carries over into just the general principles that we would have for voice. Um, would these things would some of these questions be answered in in your framework and how could people, if if you want to describe it and, yeah. and promote it, I, I'd love for you to tell my audience about it.
1: Sure, thank you. I mean, it, this is so. This is my home studio treatment framework, um, which maybe if you could put that in the description and link that, that would be great. Sure, uh, Mike. Sure. But Happy basically, to. it's it's my 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 top level approach to treating studios. It is very much focused on or aimed at home studio owners that do music work. Yeah. So that includes the entire lower section of the, the frequency spectrum and a big focus for me and people, people who know me know, I talk about this a lot is when we're talking about a, a mixing setup, a production setup is how to position that in a room, which is really, really crucial and isn't really that relevant for, for a voiceover people. But it's basically my, my five steps to treating a room very very top level um to understand what to focus on at we- each step of the way yeah because it can be really tricky to understand what of all those things that you can potentially do all those little steps in which order to actually go through them so that one builds on the one that comes before it yeah so that you're not yeah. trying not turning in circles you don't how you do to do, do something and then you realize oh crap i forgot to do this one thing and now i have to undo everything i've done and start right. over yeah right, so right. in order to avoid that i created this this framework that people can follow in in order to figure out what their next step might be uh, for their studio or even just if they're starting from scratch to understand what it is to focus on and what are those or uh, what to ignore also like what what what, st- what things to ignore depending on where you are in the process because they're just not relevant at that point yet yeah so um, so yeah, that's mm-hmm. my my mm-hmm. Uh, my home studio treatment cool. framework five steps to treating a room and getting into transit. Excellent.
0: Well, I will definitely have links down in the description. Thanks. And uh, and I encourage everybody to to go over and subscribe to Acoustic Insider. You've been so gracious with your time, with your expertise. I'm really really grateful for it. And I know I know the the fellow booth junkies who are who are in the process of building their home studios, building their booths, whether it's for voiceover, whether voiceover is a portion of it for music. You've just been so gracious with your with your time and expertise. I'm really grateful for it. Thank you so much. You're very very um, welcome. Anything else that we that we need to talk about? Uh, is there a ton? else? but you need to, that you want to promote anything else there's a ton
1: to talk about always but maybe not today
0: <laughs> well great well maybe we'll maybe we'll have a chance to to do this again when we sure. when we come across other other acoustic uh, uh other acoustic considerations i'd love to have you back on like to that. to talk more about yeah. this i just love geeking out over this stuff and Absolutely. I'm, uh, like i said I'm, I'm really grateful for your expertise thank you mike and thank you for sharing it all on youtube it's so so very helpful so very helpful i appreciate that thank you yeah, that's I, I never know how to end these things, so I'll come up with some sort of. End. But that's that was that was so I think that so was fine. wonderful. Thank yeah. you, thank you so much. You're thank welcome. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. That was cool. That was cool.